Well, hello, and again, in true less is more fashion, I have once again recorded a lot less in hopes that it would mean a lot more. I could share with you a lot of cute stories uh, that I put together, and sometimes I do that, but today I don't want to. I, I feel like we need to address releasing hope. We're living in a world with very real hurting people that are facing tough situations. Oftentimes people who are desperate. Now we're all facing eternity one way or the other. You are going to spend an eternity somewhere. But while you're here on earth, you're probably going to face a trial or two. And while I could share those cute stories or a pretty little song, they're not gonna do much for you. But in both cases, I have an answer that will do everything for you, and that is simply Jesus, a very real Savior, a very real hope. The Bible gives us a remedy for every situation that you will possibly face. Are you brokenhearted? You can be healed. There's a scripture for that. Are you in bondage? You can be made free. There's a scripture for that. But over the course of time, we have somewhat cheapened the blood of Jesus. We've got it to where people are challenged by their own faith, whether or not they really believe that God can do what he said he would do. Now, we're really good at saying it, but are we really good at believing it? Can I tell you like this, and I do not mean this offensively in any way, but inevitably somebody might get offended, so I'm Throwing that out there as a precursor. God is either God or he's not. Either his word is true in its entirety from beginning to end or it's not. You cannot have it both ways. And I'll kind of elaborate on that more in a moment. The psalmist said, who is God beside our Lord? There is no other savior. There is no one beside him. You see, there's no one else that can do what he can do. And his name is Jesus. It's time that we learned how to call on his name. His name is not offensive. His name is not to be omitted. His name is a strong tower. His name is where the righteous run to be saved. And his name releases hope. And that's exactly what I want to talk about. Catch and release mostly the releasing. What I've come to find out is that people in general, including myself, have a selfish nature and we're really good at catching, but we're not so hot at releasing. And you were created and I was created to be a catapult of hope to other people. So today I wanna release a little bit into the atmosphere, hoping that you will catch it and in turn, give it to someone else. Hopelessness seems to abound in just about every community, every family, every friend I know has, it, has situations that they struggle with that seem somewhat hopeless. I myself have a few situations that seem a little hopeless. And I've caught myself saying things and I've heard other people say things like, well, my situation is hopeless, it's just never gonna happen. It's just not possible. My finances are, you know, they're just never going to be any better than what they are. My son or my daughter, my husband, my ministry, whatever it is, 
my job, it's all hopeless. It's never gonna get better. And we say things like that, releasing that into the atmosphere. But let me remind you what Limitations 3 and 21 says. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Such a simple verse, but so much truth in it. In other words, when I get down, I recall the good things that God has done for me. And something begins to stir inside of me that resembles something like hope. And then I can't help but to get excited that God has me on his mind and he can turn my situation around. It reminds me of the story about the servant that went out to look for the cloud and he comes back and he reports to the prophet and he says, I only see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And yet the Bible says that Elijah ran out the chariots. He ran ahead of them because he was so excited because he knew that that little tiny cloud was going to bring about the hope that he was looking for. Half the time we can't see those little tiny clouds because we have not positioned ourselves to see them. We are so concentrated on what cannot happen that we are completely missing what is beginning to happen. Proverbs 23 and 18 says, for surely there is an end and my expectation shall not be cut off. In other words, my hope is not going to be cut off. The Lord knows where it ends. The matter of fact, the Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning. Maybe you're listening to me today and you're a little bit low. Can I reiterate to you what Jude already said? But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up with what? With praise. Apostle Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why did he say, and again? Well, because he knew you were flesh and blood. You're a person. You are going to struggle to praise the Lord always. And I'm talking always, because that's what the Bible says. Continuously. Listen, you get in the Burger King line. You know when you get in that line and seven people are in front of you not moving and taking their time and making you late for work. You do not feel like lifting up a little bit of praise and worship in your car. You face real life situations, but the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And that's why he threw the again in there. He's reminding you, maybe it's not Burger King that has you frustrated today. Maybe it's your electric bill. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your church. I know it could be countless things, but again, praise him anyways, because When you praise him, it binds the enemy. The spirit of God inhabits the praises of his people. That's what the Bible says. And so it opens up channels of miracles. There's something about praise, specifically yours. The release of your praise now enables you to receive hope. You can talk about hope. You could be preached to about hope. You could listen to a podcast about hope. You could sing songs about hope. But you are the only person that can decide within yourself to release true praise. Therefore, aligning yourself now to be able to see a small cloud of hope. 
Psalm 16 and 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices for my flesh also shall rest in hope. If you can't sleep, that is your remedy. Rest in the hope that God has not forgotten you. And I'm going to stop there for one second and tell you that I know what it feels like to hear things like this and think in your mind, okay, but you don't get it. I've already done that. And I still feel forgotten. Listen, I'm right there with you, pal. But I'm telling you that when you, despite how you feel, choose to do it anyways, there is power that is otherwise unattainable that is beginning to be released in your life. Psalm 42 and 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? For put your hope in God and I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. Listen, I have been at the bottom. And when I tell you I've been at the bottom, I mean (laughs) the bottom. But there is something about praise that comes up from the bottom of the well that I believe all of heaven stands to listen to. When you release your praise, then hope from heaven begins to be released over you. Don't get me started on how praise is a weapon. Second Chronicles 20 and 22, where the Bible says they begin to sing praises and the Lord started sending ambushes of men to the, the armies that were fighting. Uh, ambushes of men? Can I just remind you that God has resources that you're not aware of? Listen, if he's got ambushes of men just hanging around the wilderness somewhere, he has what you need. But sometimes we, despite how we know things, we decide we're going to take things into our own hands. I recently did that. I have been praying about something for a while and I've been asking God to move for me and I have not seen, not, I mean, just not one ounce of movement, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I found myself so stinking frustrated that I thought, well, I'm just going to help things along a little bit. I didn't do anything major. I just took a few little steps to try to, you know, maybe steer a situation in my favor. And let me just tell you that God rebuked me hard. And the other day I was getting ready for work and I could feel the conviction all over me. And it was like he was reminding me, don't you trust me? And I I could feel my insides arguing with the Lord. Yes, Lord, I trust you, but you're not, you haven't done it. You, you just not doing anything. I don't, nothing's happening. This hasn't been like just, you know, a month. This has been like a couple of years. (laughs) And he was like, does that mean I can't? And I felt real small because who am I to tell the Lord what he can and cannot do? How did Paul and Silas feel when they were in prison? In prison. But they started to sing praises to God. And then all of a sudden, the other prisoners were listening. Because let me just tell you, you have an audience, just like they did. There are people listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. There are people watching your actions. And suddenly, when they were in this prison and the praise is being lifted, the Bible says there was an earthquake. You know the story. 
and the foundations of the prison were shaken and all the doors started opening and everybody's chains were falling off. Your praise makes a difference. Your praise. It affects the people around you. Even the ones you don't know. Do you think that they they were like going out to McDonald's with all the other prisoners? No, they didn't know who these people were. They were in prison. But their praise had an effect on even strangers. So how much more does it have an effect on those in your household? You better catch what I'm saying. Your praise makes a difference, but you cannot just do it a day or a week and quit. It doesn't work like that. I want to remind you of a story of a boy named Joseph. Now, you know a lot about Joseph, I'm sure. You've probably heard the story. I'm going to gloss over it. Joseph was about 17 years old. And God started putting dreams into his heart. Dreams that he would quickly face opposition for. Dreams that he didn't even understand. Ones that he slipped up and told his father and brothers about. And the Bible says that his father kept the matter in mind. But his brothers, they envied him. So they begin to conspire. And Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. But even in slavery, Joseph soon found favor and became only second to Potiphar, who was then second to Pharaoh. Until Potiphar's wife wanted him. Now we can put a lot of reasons she wanted him on the agenda, but I will tell you that I believe that it was the anointing she was attracted to. And for any of you out there that have been in ministry positions, you know the anointing can sometimes attract and sometimes not attract the best things. When she couldn't have him, he was put into a prison. But not just any prison. The Bible says in Genesis 39 and 20, then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he he was there in the prison. Joseph wasn't just sent away to general population. He was sent to a specific place, a place where the king kept the people he wanted to uh, keep an eye on. Oftentimes they may not have been as treated quite as cruelly physically. Joseph was set up even in his adversity. The dream was still alive even though Joseph thought it had died. You might think that he wasn't bad off because I said he wasn't hurt as much physically, but let me be clear. The Bible says in Psalm 105, Joseph was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. One scripture refers to him being placed in a cistern. In other words, a hole in the ground where all of the filth ran. Gross. The only thing that this was meant to hurt was his soul. They wanted to crush his spirit. They wanted to destroy every good thing that was inside of his heart. Just like the devil, how he wants to keep you blinded by the hurt around you. He's try- he attacks where it's what's precious. He's not worried about all the thrills and frills. He's worried about attacking what godly design is on your life to keep you from fulfilling that call. And the others around Joseph were downtrodden. And see, like I said before, we're so good at like 
catching good things. We're not so good at releasing them. Some of us are hope hoarders, if you will. We're afraid that if somebody else, if Sister Susie gets blessed and I don't get blessed, well, I can't let that happen. So we hoard up everything for ourselves and we end up more miserable than we started. But Joseph wasn't like that. He refused to allow his circumstance to define him. The only thing Joseph was ever guilty of was talking too much. He told too many things. While his father uh, pondered on the dreams that he told him, his brothers used them against him and they sold him. So can I give you just a small piece of advice? Stop telling the devil and everyone else all of your problems because I guarantee you that the devil and everyone else, mostly, will find a way inevitably to use them against you. Joseph was on assignment from God. He was created to serve in this time, even though he never would have dreamed at 17 years of old when he was dreaming of all these glorious things. He didn't see himself going to a prison, but yet that's where he found himself. We often forget that God has an assignment on our life and there are people that are attached to it. Joseph had to go to this prison, but he had to go there because he needed to meet the the baker and the butler. They also had dreams, but their dreams had been lost in translation and they needed somebody to interpret them. What dream did God give you? What's your dream? When did you start letting people define to you what your dreams are? When did you start converting your dream into somebody else's because it looked good? Isn't God big enough to accomplish what he gave you? Catch this as I release it to you, Genesis 40 and 8. And they said to him, We each have a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, I love this. Do not interpretations belong to God. You do not need anyone to tell you where God is about to take you. I just told some friends the other night, sometimes I wonder if God could answer my dreams. I find myself identifying to Joseph more and more than any other Bible character. There's been a couple I've identified with over the years, but his story, there's just parts of it that remind me of myself. When I was about 15, 16 years old, I had a dream planted deep in my heart. And as life went on, that dream seemed to get derailed. And even recently, I found myself thinking, I don't think that's ever probably going to happen, seeing as how it's been all these years. And I've been through some prisons of my own and live in a rural area in the middle of nowhere. And I'm thinking, yeah, um, probably not. But then just the other day, the Lord reminded me, don't interpretations of dreams belong to me? So can I just tell you today, there is hope. Your dreams are not dead. Joseph's dreams were not dead. They were postponed. But they came to fruition, and I believe yours will too. So whatever you do today, whatever you do today, find a way to praise God for what's to come. Because your praise 
opens up channels of miracles. And I'm telling you, it is not over yet. As always, feel free to reach out to me at carryfoxstudios at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.